God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Coming to you live from high atop the EMR Tower in beautiful downtown Decatur, Georgia, center of the known universe. Thence, 23,300 miles directly into outer space this week, affiliates SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fluted plane to our vast EMR radio network. This week, 331 stations plus. The island of Guam. Speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. And we are glad to have you along on this special edition of the Real Estate Coffee Break. I remain unbossed and unbought. Speaking truth to power and committed to truth, justice, and the American way of making money. And as I always like to say, let not your heart be troubled, for I am with you. And we're going to have a great time today here on the Real Estate Coffee Break, because we've got some great topics. This is our very special President's Day edition of the Coffee Break. And uh, what can I say, except let's go right to our quote table for our quote of the day. And look what Abraham, and by the way, I want you to know, uh, I have tremendous admiration for many of our presidents, but chief among them, I think, had to be Abraham Lincoln, whose primary job was to save the Union. Had he failed, I think many of the things that we take for granted today would never have come to pass. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows what would have happened, but um, it, in any case, the union was saved, I think, to the betterment of all of us. And, um, There's so many great quotes from Abraham Lincoln. He said one time, everything I have learned, I have learned from books. And if that's not an endorsement of reading, constantly reading and learning, I don't know what is. But here's our quote for the day. The best thing about the future is that it comes one day at a time. I love that. 
I love it because it is so applicable to investing in real estate and building financial freedom over a period of time. This is not a get rich quick program. This is a get rich slow and in doing so, mitigating the risks that we face when we invest. Are there risks? Absolutely. Have I lost money on deals? Absolutely. But I can usually look back and determine why. And it's because I didn't follow my own guidance. I moved too quickly. I didn't do my homework. Or I wasn't prepared. And that's some things we're going to be talking about today. Um, we're going to touch on 27 different ways for you to find bargain properties in today's market. And I want you to pay close attention because I'm getting phone calls from people saying, John, I can't find anything for less than $400,000. Well, I'm going to give you some ideas that will have you looking at things for a lot less than $400,000. And just because somebody's asking that doesn't mean they're going to get it. So stay tuned today because we're going to have a lot of fun. A uh, special thank you to our sponsors, eXp Realty. Um, some of you know that after 40 years of having my own brokerage company where I'm the broker and I didn't have any agents, uh, for about five years, I held the license of a close personal friend, almost a family member, um, but they were not never active. And I just never wanted the liability. Um, EXP Realty is a remarkable um, um, story. And they are rewriting residential real estate, and they'll soon be rewriting how investment real estate works. They're getting into commercial right now. 75,000 agents worldwide, the vast majority here in the United States and Canada. But I decided to hang a license with them. And if you are interested to know why, I would invite you to go to partnerwithjohnadams.com. There's certainly no obligation. And if you're thinking about a career change in real estate, I'd be happy to talk with you. We have so many fine companies in Georgia, companies that I would personally be proud um, to be with. And I think EXP Realty offers a unique opportunity for real estate licensees to take full advantage of the opportunity set before them. So much for that. Um, also, next January in 2023, today is February the 19th, but 11 months from now, on January 28th, about uh, 400 of you guys are going to meet with me and Margie in Miami. We'll probably have a party the night before, if we can figure that one out. 
And then we're going to step onto the Carnival Freedom, and we're going to head out for eight days and eight nights of fun in the Caribbean. And we're going to, I don't even exactly, go to expocruise.com, and you'll learn about where we're going to go. Uh, but I, I have not mesmerized it yet. But who is this for? I'm calling it the Real Estate marketing cruise because um, Aunt Margie and I are going to be teaching real estate investment topics uh, that I think you'll find very relevant and helpful. Um, but at the same time, we're part of a larger group called the Marketers Cruise, which is about 400 people who all use the internet to market their goods or products or services. And they come from 22 different countries. And it, we've been like seven or eight years in a row. And these are like-minded individuals. These are people who almost all of them are self-employed. They own their own business. Many are in real estate. Many are not in real estate, but they all use the internet. Fascinating. And we'll spend 70% of our time having fun and 30% of our time learning. How about that? And do you not deserve this? This, it, it will cost you less to go on this cruise than it will to just stay at home. And oh, the food is fabulous. And the um, excursions are fabulous. And, the, and if you don't want to do something, you don't have to do anything for eight days. It's great. And if you're saying, well, I'm in real estate, John, I can't afford to be away from it. Just bite the bullet and get the, um, the uh, internet package. They've got, I mean, it's decent. It's not really good internet, but certainly in terms of text messaging and email, it's just fine. So I would encourage you to take a look at that. It really is less expensive to go on this cruise than to stay at home. And listen to me, next January 28th, you're going to wish you had signed up now because it's going to be sold out in about the next four weeks. You're saying, John, why is this such a bargain? It's because we negotiated this during the height of the pandemic and got a fabulous deal for you. But what I'm offering you is not available to the public. Okay. So um, also our gold sponsor for today is Peter Burke at Reliant Mortgage Solutions. Now you've got a friend in the mortgage business, 678-557-9759. Um, let me tell you, Peter's going to join us today, and this is a, um, a command performance for Peter, because I had people, I had somebody call me this week and said, John, I've done business with so-and-so at such and such a mortgage company for many years, and they're fine folks, and I've always trusted them. And I said, that's great. You know, there's, there are a lot of good people out there. And he said, yeah, but I asked him about this delayed financing strategy and he'd never heard of it. And he said, 
uh, that his institution will not allow them to do that. And I said, well, you know, that's a surprise, but it's, it's just a, a limitation that that particular company has. And I said, I'm sure that your friend there has earned your respect and your support, but most, the vast majority of mortgage lenders do not bring to the table what Peter Burke does. And it costs you exactly the same, but he has tools and he has experience and he has access to loans that other people do not have. And this guy said, well, would you and Peter be willing to go over this again briefly? And I said, yes. So that's what we're going to do today. The delayed financing strategy um, it's just very interesting and something you need to know about. Uh, so the question now is, who am I and why should you listen to me? Well, I'll tell you some reasons. I've been a property manager and an investor for 40 years. I've been a broker since 1977 or 78. Had no complaints so far, at least with the Real Estate Commission. I've never been arrested. I've never been bankrupt. And I wrote the Landlord Survival Guide for Georgia. And um, I'm an Eagle Scout. And that means I am trustworthy. Among other things, which we may get into another time. Here's housekeeping. Please turn off your phone. Uh, enter your questions at the bottom of your screen. You should see Q&A. And if you have a question, just click that button, type it in there. Margie will be alerted. She will tell me and I will try, or Ian and I will try to answer your question. By the way, if you have a question about delayed financing strategy, uh, now would be a good time to enter that. We're going to talk for about 45 minutes and then we'll do Q&A and then we'll go into our landlording hour. Uh, recording will be available on real estate coffee break, probably by either late this afternoon or just before church tomorrow. Okay. And please use the Q&A. You can't use chat because Margie has cleverly removed it. Uh, the truth about real estate is this, folks. Landlords grow rich in their sleep. And that was brought to us by 19th century economist, John Stuart Mill. And he recognized this a long time ago, and it has not changed. And I'm reminded of the words of Warren Buffett, who said, if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you'll work until the day you die. Some of you are perfectly happy with that. I am not. So your goal this year is to stay occupied and collect your rent. The eviction ban, if you want to call it that, has finally been declared unconstitutional. Now, we're going to hear this morning from um, a gentleman who is in the thick of it. He told me this past week that getting somebody evicted in Clayton County is four, is a 14-month procedure because they are so backed up and they refuse to streamline their uh, dispossessories 
and they just as soon not have anybody dispossessed. Fortunately, most of the counties are getting a lot better, but Fulton is still, I think, 10 months, which is crazy. Um, it should be 60 days max from soup to nuts, from your first late letter until you get a writ of possession and a judgment against these people. Um, but you've got to collect your rent. And if you aren't collecting your rent right now, you need to file a dispossessory. And we talk about that in the Landlord Survival Guide and give you all of the documents that you need if you'd like to do it yourself. Goal number two is to boost your income and lower your expenses at all levels. This is pretty easy right now because rents in Metro Atlanta are up 14% during 2021, 14%. And I'll bet you didn't raise your rent. Now is the time to do it. And lower expenses at all levels. How do we do that? There's a lot of different ways. We'll talk about that. And goal number three, this is my advice. This is not from the Dave Ramsey School of Kindergarten Finance. This is from the John Adams Institute for Advanced Money Study, where I hold the free enterprise chair. Borrow as much as you can right now for as long as you can, and you'll be very glad you did. Borrow it now at three or 4% and pay it back over as long a period as you can and trust me, with inflation knocking at your door, you'll be very happy that you have had an opportunity to use that money for much more profitable items, some of which we'll talk about today. I believe you can retire comfortably even today on as few as 10 rental units. I recommend buying one per year, not 10 in the first year. We want to get some diversification over time. We call that housing cost averaging instead of dollar cost averaging. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Um, and remember that the greatest investment in the world is not real estate. You heard me. The greatest investment in the world is you. Right there on top of your shoulders, right there between your ears, you have the most wonderful computer. And, and they say even Albert Einstein only scratched the surface and may have used less than 10% of the ability of his brain. And you have the same brain he does. But we've got to develop it. We've got to keep reading. We have to keep learning. And my question to you is, what is your annual education budget? And if you don't have one, I recommend you do have one. Okay, so let's forge on in here. We're not going to what is capitalism. We're going to, Margie, I never got um, the um, evict them for me. Is okay. that a tab? You said it was. Oh, it is. Well, then it is. So in that case, I I'm think. going 
I think I did too. Watch this. We'll go right up here. Oh, well, it's not here, but it needs to be. It's in your chat. You want well, me to play it? No, let's see if I can find my chat here. It may be here. We don't want to play the who, but I think this is above the who. Ooh, look at that. Here we go. Let's just play this and see what happens. And we are back. John Adams here, your real estate coffee break with our very special guest. Joe Clower is here. I caught the name of your website, which sort of says it all, evictthemforme.com. I love it. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little about who is Joe Clower? How did you manage to avoid my uh, uh, scrutinous gaze for the last 10 years? <laughs> well, again, Joe Clower, I'm a real estate broker licensed in Georgia. Uh, been doing, I've been a real estate agent since 2003. And we got into property management about 10 years ago or so. And in that process, realized you eventually have to go through the eviction process. And I was sitting in court one day and looking around the room and no one was having a really good time. Just like we say on our website, if you are at our website, we're, glad you, we're really glad you found us, but you're not really having a good day if you're no. on our website. That's right. But, so tried to figure out and, you know, I didn't know, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know yet. And it's, you're sitting there in court learning the process you have tenants, you have owners, and you have attorneys and judges. The only people that seem to be very happy were probably the attorneys. Um, <laughs> so, you know, everybody else wasn't having a good time. Right. So learn the process and thought this is a great way to meet people. So mm -hmm. we were in a county that was very easy to work with. And so we thought the process was simple. And that is something that it feels really simple. You just write on a piece of paper, you turn it into your court, your clerk, they send it to the, to your tenant, you meet in court, you get paid, they go away. Everything is wonderful. Uh, it's not that way in every County. And it's not that way in every County in the next week, if you were in, especially during COVID. So, but anyway, we developed what we call eviction management. And, uh, I understand, you know, I I'd love to mess around with plumbing. I, uh, will from time to time change a outlet. Uh, but when it comes to certain things, I, I'm just not going to do it. And sometimes I have to value my time uh, a little more than trying to find somebody that knows what they're doing. So when you hire us, if you choose, we handle the process for you. You don't have to deal with your tenant anymore. You do have to give us your information. We have to try to come to some sort of meeting of the minds about how your county works. Um, and I, you know, the, the hardest thing in this process for us has been trying to explain to investors and owners that have been doing this for 20 years or some that this is their first, you know, sure. first chance at, at doing an investment is that your lease is wonderful until something goes wrong. Right. So that's, that's the hardest, that's the hardest point is to say, you know, I have this piece of paper that I, that says I can do all these things to people, but your lease is as good as it's written, but it only has standing and power the day a judge says, yeah, that's written. Right. And you can actually do what it says. You can well, do you're uh, familiar with, I wrote a lease many years ago called the killer lease. Yes. And, and it says 
clearly that once a tenant is late, they can be drawn and quartered in their own front yard. And then to, for, for good measure, we'll hang them by the neck until dead. So uh, I amazingly, I've had judges who said I wasn't aware that that was valid, but if, it, if John Adams says it is, it must be. Uh, how, the, let me ask this question because people are surprised when I say I have been landlording now for 40 years. Um, I have only in that time had one actual set out in that entire Mm -hmm. 40 year period. And it was one of the most unpleasant days of my life. It's terrible. And, and uh, you've got, I mean, people were crying and other people were screaming and the sheriff Mm -hmm. was there and it was, it was very unpleasant. Right. I'll do anything to avoid that. How often should this process end up with a physical eviction out on the street? Well, uh, before COVID, uh, with our process that we do, uh, and it's not you know rocket science. Um, you, we were we were down to less than two percent of our cases ended up in a physical setout. Even with COVID, and people say, how are you evicting people during COVID? I mean, my children won't even tell people what I do for a living. And it's, it's you know, the, the, we, we're still right at 3% of the cases, of all cases that start with us, only about 3% end up going to a set out. And the uh, art of success is in communication, yeah. right? Yeah. So when you, when they won't talk with you and you won't talk with them, you have to get to court some way. And in that process, if, you know, if they're not going to talk, if they're going to go hide or, or if you hide from them, you will end up with a set out. And that is the most costly thing. I mean, I set out no matter who you use, what you do or how you handle it, not only with the timelines that you have in counties in, in Georgia and across the United States right now, you have the cost of that removing those people from that home. It's not That's just right. a dollar cost. It is an emotional cost, especially if you're having to do it yourself. Yep. And, um, but you can't avoid it because nobody wants their stuff put on the street. Nobody wants to put other someone's property on the street either. I mean, there's just not, it's not what you wake up in the morning wanting to do. Right. So the goal is you need to communicate. You need to negotiate. And that's what we do. We are constantly communicating and negotiating with the tenant and, and with the uh, with the property owners. One of the things I love, I went to your website at uh, evictthemforme.com. And one of the things I love is you talked about once the process is started, your office will aco- apply constant pressure. Yes. Just you, you're, you're not uh, emotionally involved. This no. is a situation that we have to deal with. It cannot be avoided. And we do have some options. And right. you just tell these people what the options are and they get to make a decision, right? That's right. That's that's exactly right. We try to find a common ground. And, you know, it, it's sales. And it is uh, trying, it's the art of a deal, of the deal. You, you have pleasure and pain. And you either want to go toward it or you want to get away from it. The, um, you, you have to be there to put that constant pressure on the tenant or the landlord too. It happens, you know, have customers that, that don't understand and, and, and don't want to do, they'll say, this is the way it's going to be and the house going to work. That's fine. But I promise you, depending on what county you're in, 
the rules, the regulations, the ground shifts underneath you, especially during COVID to where it's not the same game anymore. If, if we had the same field that we went to every single day where the lines were drawn, the goals were very clear on how to get there. It's like, I don't know, playing football on a maze. It doesn't make sense. So. No, it and with that, we are going to, uh, uh, that's the beginning of my interview with Joe Clower. And the name of his uh, company is evictthemforme.com. Now, some of you are saying right now, wait a minute, John, why do I need to use Joe Clower? I'm not saying that you need to use Joe Clower. He is a resource. I can tell you this, um, his pricing is a bargain as far as I'm concerned. And being able to hand this part off to a third party who is not emotionally involved and who is going to maintain constant pressure is a wonderful opportunity if if you're so inclined. Uh, if you don't want to do it yourself, I would talk to Joe. And he is not an attorney, but he works with attorneys in almost every metro Atlanta county. And I don't have his phone number in front of me, but I can tell you I talked with him for the better part of an hour. And if we have time later today, we'll pick up that interview and go forward. Uh, I had originally told him I wanted to talk about 10 minutes. We ended up at 25 minutes before I had to cut it off. But it's just very, uh, th this guy has a, a procedure that works. And I would liken it to um, talking to an attorney who is associated with a collection division, except Joe is very knowledgeable about landlord tenant. So, you know, that's sort of the, the interesting part. Margie, I see that you're the host now. All right, well, why don't you, um, let's talk to Peter Burke uh, if we can find him and I'm gonna go to his uh, slides if I can find them. And I think they are, first I'm gonna get out of this. Okay, and then I'm going to go back to this. Uh, I'm going to go back to this, and we're I'm, while we're waiting on Peter, uh, I'm going to go ahead and remind you uh, for your thought for today is the invisible hand of the free market economy. And I believe that, and this is straight from Milton Friedman, voluntary trades in a free market produce unintentional and widespread benefits. And these benefits are almost always greater than those of a regulated planned economy. And speaking of a regulated planned economy, we are now joined by my very special guest, Peter Burke. Hello, Peter. Good morning, John. Good morning, everyone. Um, I am distressed at what's going on in Canada. Does that have anything to do with their high mortgage rates? <laughs> I guess the son is not like the father. Well, 
you know, I think most people sort of think of Canada as, as um, nice people, sort of like a northern state or something. Uh, and, and mostly they enjoy making snowmen and saying, A, A, and things like that. My dad was born in Canada, so I've always had a soft spot in my heart. He was born in Toronto, where I've never been, but I understand it's beautiful. And um, this last week has been distressing. I guess the apple does fall far from the tree. <laughs> I guess so. Well, I'm surprised that Queen Elizabeth hasn't popped over on the Queen Mary or something or the QE2 and shown up and brought some troops with her to occupy Canada. <laughs> That's all they need. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a surprise, wouldn't it? Peter, um, two quick questions before we jump in here. And the first is, um, this is from Sean. And Sean says, and Sean is listening right now. Hi, John. I'm not sure if there is a difference between the two types of refinances below. The deferred financing strategy to do a refi and get the equity cashed out from a property just bought using borrowed money for the purchase, and two, a cash out financing from an investment property you already own for a minimum of six months. In both cases, you're getting cash out of the property. So other than the six months of waiting in the cash out refinancing scenario, is I, I guess the interest rate might be slightly different and maybe LTV, is this correct? Uh, please ask Peter to comment, thank you. I read Sean's question and let, let's back up. Um, delayed financing is a tool that allows a home buyer to have the same equal footing of someone paying cash. It's a strategy to, uh, you've been looking at a home to buy, and it can be an investment property, um, but let's say your son or daughter are looking for their first home. They have 10%, 5%, 20%, but they don't have 100%. But you as the listener for the benefit of your son or daughter says, look, I can give you the difference. I just need it back. Um, so let me, let me just come up with an example for Sean. Sean worked, let's say, for UPS all these years. Um, and he just double down on his IRA. And he's got, you know, after a 40 year career, he's got $400,000 of UPS stock um, in his IRA, which now that he is retired, he has a right to roll that over, uh, which means taking the money out of one place and putting it with a new custodian within 60 days and he can use the money in the meantime. And guess what? His daughter, who was a cheerleader at Decatur High School, by the way, very attractive young lady, she married somebody and they want to buy a house now. But every house they go to buy, 
by the time they get their offer turned in that says it's contingent on financing, which they're well qualified for, a cash investor has already bought that house. How does this help them? Let's simplify it even more and not worry about the rollover. Okay. Um, Sean works for UPS. Um, he's got the funds to provide for his daughter, whether it's an equity line of credit, it's a margin, it's cash in the bank. Um, and he wants to help out his daughter, but he can't give her the funds permanently, but he can allow her to use them for 30 days. Okay. However he can source it. Um, he provides for it uh, in conjunction with her 5, 10, 15, 20% that she's got. She now has enough funds to complete the purchase. She buys the home. And as soon as the afternoon of closing on the purchase, she can sign her loan application for a delayed financing and obtain up to 80% of the purchase price of that home in order to repay back Sean. And in the meantime, I want to back up just a little bit. She has put herself on a level playing field with these investors that come in and just write a check. Correct. 40 in, in Atlanta last in Metro Atlanta last year, 43% of all single family home sales were sold to non-owner occupants or investors. And I would venture to say the majority of those were cash on the barrel head offers with no financing contingency. How can you expect to compete with that if you are having to make your offer contingent on loan approval? If I'm a seller, I'm going to pick the one that's cash. Exactly. All things being equal. But uh, it's a tool and it can be used for investment property, of course. There, it can be used to buy a house at the beach or mountains too. But primarily we're seeing it where somehow the borrower is, is uh, the home buyer who's buying that house has cobbled together 100% of the funds in cash, mom, dad, sister, brother, their own IRA 401k, and now has it, but needs to repay back those sources fairly quickly. This is the way to overcome it. You can write your offer to buy the house for cash, close in five days, you know, because you don't have any financing contingencies. Um, however you wish to, uh, to, 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 to get to the finish line, this is the vehicle that allows you to repay back those sources without a lot of hoops to jump through. Well, that is very interesting. And so there really is a difference here. The delayed financing strategy um, is really a, an acquisition path that is designed to put you on equal footing with who's making lots of offers today. Whereas the buy a house, uh, we, we talk about it as the BRRR strategy, buy, 
um, renovate, um, rent, and then refinance. And after six months, the advantage there, to correct me if I'm wrong, is we can, if we have truly added value to the property, we can now refinance at 80% based on this new appraisal that takes into yes. account some of the work that we've done. Am I right? That's exactly what it is. It's, it's refinancing without a seasoning period um, of six months. You're, but you are using the purchase price as the basis of determining the new loan amount as opposed to the appraisal. Got it. Margie, you have become host and shut me out of screen sharing. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm not complaining. After 45 years of wedded bliss, it just keeps getting better. As Don Rickles used to say, he only got concerned when his wife started to move the medicine. <laughs> or hide it. I love Don Rickles. He, uh, we, we, when he passed from the American scene, we lost a lot of laughing. I, I hate that. Now let's see if I can share the screen. Yes. And so what I'm going to do here is share this screen and you and I'll just talk about this for just a second. Um, and, and here are our uh, talking points on the delayed financing. So let's just and, and folks, if you're listening right now saying, where did this come from? This is one of the strategies that Peter brings to the table. I had a call this week, Peter, from somebody who said, I called my longtime friend, the mortgage agent at, it was a major bank. And he said, uh, I asked about this and they said, we can't do that. Yeah. What, the, our, our does each individual mortgage company or major lender decide what they will and won't offer? You know, this is a transaction that's allowed by Fannie, uh, whether a lender wants to participate and then figure out how to educate the, the, their team on how to promote it. That's where things are. So um, just real quickly, delayed financing is an all-cash offer to the seller. And the seller's primary concern right now is, I don't want this thing to fall through. And if you're bringing me a cash offer and putting down a substantial earnest money, now I'm going to pay more attention to your offer than to somebody else who may be putting down only 5% yeah. or less and a small earnest money and uh, wanting to make the whole thing contingent on their ability to obtain financing. And what they've got is a mealy mouth letter from their uh, mortgage agent that says, um, we think this person might be qualified. Yeah. Well, that's no good. I want better after closing on the purchase. And by the way, you brought up a very interesting um, scenario. Somebody may have an employer who would be willing to loan them a substantial amount of the purchase price for a reasonably short period of time, say 30 to 60 days, in yeah. order to keep that employee happy. I like, I mean, that won't, wouldn't work at probably at General Motors, but if somebody had just joined a 
um, profitable firm and made a partner and they didn't have the money, but wanted to buy a house, bingo, here's an opportunity. Um, those proceeds from the refinance are used to reimburse or pay back the source of the all cash purchase and plan on 30 days from the closing date of the purchase to the closing date of the refi. And what kind of rate is, would this be similar to the rate one would get if one placed the loan as the purchase loan? Uh, pretty close, yes. Really not a lot of difference. And there's not any additional fees, I can tell you on that, but it's a conventional interest rate. Okay. You're not and paying, you're not having to pay for magic dust to be uh, 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 sprayed <laughs> onto your loan. Well, how much does that cost? You're not having to pay, so I don't know. <laughs> okay. And the home buyer does need to have access to the cash prior to the closing, but that can actually be wired in on the day of closing to the closing attorney. Is that right? If your boss, mom, dad, boyfriend, doesn't want to give you the cash wire to the closing attorney with escrows with instructions to disperse, you know, following the escrow. Yeah. You don't have to give the $350,000 to the uh, home bot. You can wire it directly to the closing attorney. Well, that's very interesting. And the cash can come from anyone or anywhere ex-spouse who wants to get you out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> Another investor. So if John Adams happens to have 500,000 bucks sitting in the bank earning 1% and somebody out of the blue comes forward and says, hey, I've got 20%, but would you loan me 80% and I'll give you a note and deed to secure debt. Um, in a first mortgage position too. In a first mortgage position. Yeah. I'd take it, especially if it's new construction or yeah. if they were getting a good deal on the house. I mean, that's interesting, man or woman on the street. Those of you who have big pockets, deep pockets of cash, are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. It's an opportunity. The closing attorney handling the purchase will prepare a note. The note is just the IOU documenting the receipts of the cash if the source of fund is not from the borrower's own funds. And there's no requirement that the note be recorded. There's no requirement of a deed to secure debt, but it is allowable. And the proceeds are not considered a gift because it's going to be paid back. Yeah. Very interesting. And um, the proceeds from the refinance are made payable directly to the source of the funds. So again, uh, if you don't know the person very, very well that you're lending to, you can arrange it so they never have control of the funds, right? Absolutely. There's very a lot of control in that transaction. Very interesting. Peter Burke, 678-557-9759. And I want to thank Sean for asking. In fact, he now says, thank you, Peter. And thank you, John, for deli uh, delivering the question for me. Understood that the delayed financing provides the benefit to the buyer to make the case as a cash purchase. I think that's the um, one of the primary benefits, although there are some ancillary benefits as well. 
And there may even be some benefits for the lender, which I think is, yes. is and, interesting. And as let's well. drill down to if you are an investor doing this, you could buy an investment property, $200,000 rental house, you see, or 150, write a check, and you have a choice. You can either do a delayed financing to obtain 80% of those proceeds back or wait six months and do 80%, excuse me, 75% of the, of the appraised value in six months from now. So, so there's, some, there's some options there, depending on what your plans are. If you are doing a major renovation and expecting to get that value substantially higher over a six-month period, this would make that would make more sense to me, even though yeah. you're only getting um, uh, 75% of it. But I, I understand that. And this is just novel to me in that it allows a buyer to compete with the institutional and investor-related buyers who are coming in and writing checks for cash. Because I've seen that happen. I sold that house up in uh, Ackworth to an investor, a, a gentleman. Of, he was actually in China. And I never met the man, but boy, did he have some money. And I don't know where he got it. I say, God bless him. But now some of his money is in my pocket and I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Peter, um, I always say to folks, the smart thing to do is just pick up the phone and call you at 678-557-9759 to start the conversation. Um, because if they wait until the last minute, they may be able to pull it off, but they're limiting their options to the extent that they don't have time to percolate on it. And you don't have time to percolate and find an interesting solution like this delayed financing strategy. Yeah. And so, so I say, start the conversation. Are you ready to talk to some people today? I sure am. I'm around. All right. Fantastic. You can either call Peter at this number or text him and he'll call you. And uh, he's got a couple of things he can make available, a couple of resources he can make available to you, including more information about how you might benefit either as the lender or the purchaser from the delayed financing strategy. Peter, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. And I know Peter will because he always does. Although Peter is sort of a, a um, fitness fanatic. <laughs> aren't, aren't, aren't you like running every day now or something? Um, I get a lot of steps in. I like to walk between five and six miles a day. Wow. Others have said, that I'm close to have said, it's all good, but you tend to come back. Well, I would, all I can say is if I could get my car into the house, I would drive it to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, thank you very thank you, everybody. much. We appreciate it. 
And what I want to do now is it is 54 after the hour. I'm going to go ahead and go to our intermission early because um, I want to get back and go more into our conversation with um, Mr. Clower at uh, evictthemforme.com. A very interesting discussion, one that I want you to hear right after we have our um, intermission. So let me find intermission. What I need to do is go here and then go here and then do this. I've got to share the screen. There it is, boys and girls. Well, uh, everybody go get another cup of coffee. Mine has gotten cold because I was so interested in talking with Peter. But um, everybody get a fresh cup of hot coffee. I'll see you right back here in four minutes. Don't touch that dial. And we are back with a fresh cup of coffee. I hope you got one. I managed to work in a hard-boiled egg as well, which is good and good for you. Um, let's go back to our video where we were talking with the founder of Evict Them For Me, Dot com, um, because I just was fascinated with the conversation and wanted you to know more about it. So let's see how I do this. I went here and I went here. Here we go. Here it is. But I do have to share the screen. All right. Hmm. All right. We are now talking with Joe Clower of um, evictthemforme.com, a very interesting, very reasonably priced firm. Uh, he's a licensed real estate broker. He's not an attorney, does, doesn't pretend to be, but he's very knowledgeable. And the beauty of the service he offers you and me is that he is able to, as a disinterested third party, contact the tenant and say, look, we represent so-and-so and it's out of their hands now, it's in our hands and we are moving toward a court date. And here's what your options are. And we'd like to work with you instead of against you. So let's try that right now and see how it goes forward. And the other thing is the the rules of the game are changing constantly. Yes, they I've, are. I've never seen anything like it where the Centers for Disease Control 
issues a piece of paper under a Republican presidential administration allowing the government to seize my property and give it to someone else, but I can't charge rent and I can't evict them, right. which I happen to know is an unconstitutional act. And thank goodness, uh, several of my friends on the court, uh, uh, you know, John Roberts and, and some of them called me and said, John, how are we going to solve this problem? And I said, fellas, you've got to declare it unconstitutional. And thank goodness they did. I, I hope I made a small contribution there. But anyway, on the screen right now, we're looking at, um, and you were kind enough to supply this. Thank you. Uh, what you're calling an eviction management timeline. What are we looking at here, Joe? Sure. Back in the good old days when we lived on planet Earth, um, an, an eviction lasted uh, technically in Georgia. You know, people would always tell us, you know, well, how long does it take? And when am I going to get paid? Those are the first two things that we're always asked. First of all, it's going to take, uh, it could be done this afternoon. And in some counties uh, here in the metro area, it could take 14 months. Uh, but generally speaking in Georgia, the, the timeline, and some of this is actually uh, part of the law, that we have to be in court. If, if we file a case against someone, they have to answer. It has to be served in a certain timeline by the marshal. The defendant then has to answer in a seven day period. So you usually, no matter when it was served or when we started it, we could always say, you know, if they answer the case, we're going to be in court between day 30 and day 40. And then depending on how it works in court by law, the judge if they find that the plaintiff is the winner in a landlord tenant uh, dispossessory warrant case, uh, that the tenant is the defendant is supposed to vacate in seven days. It does not mean they will. There's nobody that's going to show up that day and grab them by the back of the neck and throw them out in the front yard. It's just right. not happen. There's a lot of processes. But on this screen in front of us, when you hire us to start the process, and it only costs $50 to start the process with us. We're going to send out a letter uh, demanding whatever lease violation that you have. Normally, that's going to be non-payment of rent. So in a three to seven day period, depending on what you really want or how we're progressing with your tenant, we're going to communicate with them. We send it by regular mail, certified mail, email, we call, we text, and we put pressure on them. These are live calls. These are voicemails. They, they, we, they hear from us. Sure. Now, when they hear from us, we ask that you, when you get that phone call, because somebody hadn't talked to you in a long time, all of a sudden get a message from an outside company business saying, here's what's happening. They're going to say, that's not true. Or they're going to, to us, or they're going to call you and say, who is this? Why are you doing this to me? Kind of thing. And we tell you, look, you don't have to deal with them anymore. Just tell them to call us, tell them to read the letter. There's a, there's a website. They go to the website, they create a portal with us and we start communicating wow. and, and, and we put the whole process together. We have a resolution center on our website that we can put a whole not a mediated agreement, but an agreement together that can either be, you go ahead and agree to it before it doesn't have the power of court when you agree before you go to court, but it creates terms. It may create a new amendment to your lease. It may help you avoid a six to 12 month eviction process. But anyway, we go through this process and at some point between day three to day seven, we say, you know what, this isn't working. We got to file the case. It's up to you. Would you like to move forward? And then you pay us 
we file the case and we continue to put pressure during the answer period. We normally don't make any phone calls because we want them to see the information from the court. And this process is called a dispossessory warrant. Again, the top two questions, when am I going to get it back? Nah, that's not number one. Number one is when am I going to get paid? <laughs> and right. then, then maybe I, when, when will I get my property back? So I have to explain to people that it's called a dispossessory warrant. It's not a money judgment warrant. It is a process of dispossessing them of your asset. So let me, let me make sure I got this straight. Pretty much the idea is you're either going to get your money or you're going to get your property, but probably not both. That's not true. That's the, 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 the main thing. The only thing you're ever going to get, you're, you're entitled to your property. You own it, right? So sometime in this grand timeline of today through a year from now, you're going to get your property back. We wish the rules would come back to where we're only getting this totally done in 60 days. The money portion of this, there are certain things that have to happen. The tenant has to answer the case or they have to be personally served. Uh, the personally served part of that is not really part of a process for anybody in this, because if you wait around for a process server and want to pay that additional cost to have somebody waiting in the bushes to spring on them and say, hey, right. and it's not worth the um, the amount of money of, of, of that's owed. So the main thing is trying to get your asset back to get your asset back on track, to get that, get it working for you again. Now we get money judgments all the time. We have judgments against people for, you know, if you look at all the thousands that we've done millions of dollars of, of judgments against defendants for non-payment of rent, because it's pretty simple. If you didn't pay and you didn't make repairs that you, the defendant, are going to owe some money and it will have to be paid, um, or it'll have to be paid, you'll get a judgment. And then you have to go collect on that judgment. But the main purpose is to get your asset back. That's where everything's made and you have the ability to take, you know, uh, appreciation and make money on right. your asset. Right. And tenant in it. And, you know, then, you know, once you have that money judgment, you have time to go back after that tenant for that money. But it, generally speaking, it's, it's, um, it's a dispossessory warrant to get your asset back, but you, you one, get money judgments all the time. Well, okay. So one of the things that you guys do at evictthemforme.com is you pretty much handle this entire process. If I don't want to be involved, Right. I don't, I don't have to be, do I? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, the, you have to communicate with us about, you know, what the problem is. We want a lease if we, you know, if we can have it. Uh, and that, you know, that's a, that's a loose term. The, you know, <laughs> the number one call, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, I have a lease. Yeah. And or they'll say, I don't have a lease. And I was like, okay, the person's been there for 10 years. You said, so <laughs> why, how did you not, you never wrote it down. Oh yeah. Yeah. We wrote it down. I said, okay, well, Okay, that's good. And that means you still have a lease because in Georgia, if you had a written lease at one time, what we've found in court may not be written law or whatever, but what we found in court is that that little piece of paper gave how much money's owed, when it's owed, how it's supposed to be paid, those sure. kind of things. And that continues on through time on a month to month basis in Georgia. So if you ever had one, you have one. So you don't say, well, it's done. Okay. That's great. We can, we can uh, give notice, but that's one terrible thing you have to think about is if you don't have a written lease and uh, granny has the kids in the basement and they're trying to get rid of that 60 year old in the basement, yeah, they, um, you have to give them a 60 day notice in Georgia before you can actually file your case. So you have to be careful if you say my tenant doesn't have a lease, 
yeah, we have a lease and, and you still may have to give them a 60 day notice, but if you're not doing it for non-payment rent, but it's much better to have that written form that explains things. So Joe, in- it's, it's interesting to me because we've been talking now for a few minutes and it's clear that there are a lot of, of, uh, ways to go wrong in trying to get your property back and trying to collect, especially during this pandemic where we had, everything was turned on its head. And um, it's my understanding that Georgia is a, comparatively speaking, a very landlord friendly state. Has that been your experience? It's it's an easy state to do the eviction process and there's no doubt. No doubt, each each you know county is different because of local elected officials. Um, so those rules and regulations can be you know handed down. Uh, sort of a judge can be different. Like I you know told you the other day, I was like you know three you know you have the we have federal law, we have state law, That's we right. have local law, and then we have a judge's uh, you know chambers or judges you know the judge on the bench on a Thursday afternoon at one p.m. Okay, and that what you have to realize when you walk in that room that's that's the law and they have nothing to do with anything (laughs) early early in my career where i was very full of myself and had studied uh 44 7 and and very familiar with georgia landlord tenant law i'm working with attorneys regularly um i represented myself one time in magistrates court And I knew immediately that I knew more about Georgia law than this judge did. And he came out with something and and I said, Your Honor, um, with all due respect, that's not provided for under Georgia law. And I thought I'd scored a point there. And he he pointed at me and he went like this. He (laughs) said, Mr. Adams, can I speak to you for just a moment? I said, Yes, Your Honor. I approached the bench and he said, Mr. Adams, I have an idea. I said, what's that, Your Honor? He said, why don't you let me be the judge? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a similar situation happen to me on in court one day. It was, it was you know, I, I was um, instructed and, and there was a piece of, I was handling my own case, you know, I, and, and let's go ahead and give the disclaimer. For everyone that's out there, I am not an attorney. I am a real estate broker. And these are just, you know, uh, we, we, if you, if you use our services, you will have an opportunity to have an attorney represent you in court, but I am not an attorney. And a judge told me that one day uh, early on in this uh, situation where I uh, had filled out a paperwork wrong, which gosh, if you ever look at some of the ways the paperwork is set up in the Ever County, it's easy to fill it out wrong just a little bit sure. out of judgment we were doing. So she, she handed the papers like toward me and I, I went over there to get it. And she said, but Mr. Clore, I want you to understand, you know, uh, you haven't passed the bar, which means you can't really pass that. And she pointed to the, the wooden bar of, of the, the front of the courtroom. You're not allowed to come up here. And I was like, yes, ma'am. I, was like, <laughs> I just, you, you handed me something. I walked over. I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> well, anyway. this, it's, it, this is very interesting. We have just about run out of time and I, I want to look real quickly um, the, the slide that we've got on the screen right now, you say you can start your eviction for as little as $50. That's ridiculously right. low. Right. And again, you know, it's, it's, it's that, uh, people call me on that from time to time, but the reality is your eviction process starts with a demand letter and that demand letter process, we are solving, um, in COVID anywhere from 60 to, to 70%. It's, it varies every month. Um, 
the cases are solved during that time frame. The average customer that calls in is on the, they've allowed the tenant to get uh, close to three months behind on rent. If you will call us and let us start your eviction process and your demand letter process toward the end, like if, if your rent's due on the first, late on the fifth, um, or however you do it, and you start your own processes, if you will let us take over that process in week two or three, uh, and you're still in month one of them being behind, uh, we solve that that process 90-something percent of the time. Okay? Wow. And, and you, you're it, not talking about actually having to go to court or even no, filing. Nothing. No, because they realize you're part of a team. And yep. these people, under, we, we tell them their options and we show them what's going to happen, how it's going to happen and what's going to happen. And we come to some sort of conclusion. There may be something that needs to be fixed in their home. There might be something that is, you know, just going wrong elsewhere in their life. And we put a payment plan together, but we do those every single day. But there's so many little pitfalls. Like we had a case this morning in Fulton County that we had to dismiss because on the day the tenant was served back in first uh, of January, the, uh, the tenant made a $600 payment on a $6,000 uh, behind on rent. Well, if you accept money after we filed the case, and we tell you you have to return it as soon as it comes back in, unless it's enough to stop your case, well, you have to dismiss it. You're, it's over with, unless you can negotiate in court during mediation. Very interesting. Joe Clower at evictthemforme.com. Contact information is on the screen right now. And... Uh, I am QR code challenged. I have tried to learn that little language. I, you I, just take a picture with your phone. You just move it up. There you go. I can't to. look. Joe, it's, it's almost all I can do to make a phone call on it, much less any of those other buttons. I'm, I'm regressing to a flip phone. I have to show this with you. By the way, I want you to come back because okay. this makes so much sense. And thank you for sharing with us. Um, one time I had sent a demand letter and the, I mean, not a demand letter, a uh, file dispossessory. And right. it's, it's only $101.50. I think from, from my perspective, that's the greatest bargain in history because yep. you get a man in an extremely tight spandex uniform carrying a loaded gun coming to the front door. I mean, that's, that's worth yep. 500 bucks. <laughs> and, and, uh, anyway, um, they had given him his summons and he answered and his answer was, and this was read in open court. Mm -hmm. he, he only had one sentence. I was laid on the way to work. Perfect. We, we've had, a, we've had, you'd be shocked that the, the book that needs to be written, I just need the stack of, uh, of answers that we've had over time. Uh, they're, they're great. Well, even, I think he meant he filing. was laid off at work, yeah, but that's, yeah. that's hey. not what he said. And yeah. that, the, but the judge accepted that as mm -hmm. a valid response and we got into court. Oh, yeah. so. and, and, and that takes some talent to get laid on the way to work. <laughs> I wouldn't know <laughs> as, as a real estate broker, I try to get to the office every day by the crack <laughs> of noon. Um, also, your fees are extremely reasonable it looks right. like to me and anybody that does not at least consult with you guys i think is crazy i know you do a lot of work with our friend robert dukes who attorney mm -hmm. who has been a guest on this program before we need to have him back by the way 
You but have thank us both. you. You're thank great. you so much for your time. Uh, I will be in touch. I promise. Okay. We'd love to have you come back. Okay. And um, uh, I think you're going to get some phone calls. Now, you had sure. mentioned, I only bring this up because you mentioned it. Right. Unbelievable low price, 50 bucks to get started. And you've got a special for real right. estate coffee break listeners. That's exactly right. All you have to do is when you go on our website and log, create a uh, login with us to start your case or just to create an account with us, uh, your first demand letter process uh, will only cost you $40. You'll get $10 off the 50 bucks. Holy mackerel, Kingfish. I can't wait. I'm just going to go ahead and start a dispossessory against some people that aren't even behind just no. to sort of make sure they're on their toes and take advantage of this. All right. Joe Clower, evictthemforme.com. Joe, thank you very much. Thank we you. do appreciate thank it. You. We'll see you again soon. Bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you found that interesting, uh, at least as interesting as I did, because, uh, you know, there are so many attorneys now that, let me get out of this screen, see if I can figure out what I'm doing here. I can't get rid of this screen. Oh, I got to stop sharing. That's what I've got to do. Ian, why don't you take over and solve all of these problems for me? I can't get out of this screen. Ah, there we go. And we'll go right back here. I'm joined by my evil twin, my friend, and my fellow landlord and fellow investor, uh, Ian Robbins. Ian, how are you today? John, I'm just so grateful you brought on such a wonderful guest. All your guests are great, but I really enjoyed uh, that speaker and, and appreciate you also putting it toward the landlord part of our show. Thank you. Well, as you know, I have always taken the position that if someone chooses to do it themselves, they probably can. However, if they're not familiar with the process you have recommended and i think very wisely so several times to people just go to court sit in the court and shut your mouth and listen because you'll learn a lot about what happens but some people simply would prefer to let someone else do it and this guy has developed a system where i think the pricing is very reasonable Oh yeah. I mean, to start the process for 40 bucks and, and he said something like 75% of them are resolved before he files for a dispossessory. And I think the reason is it's coming from someone that the tenant doesn't know. You're exactly right, John. And also the way he does it with different types of media nowadays, people tend to hide behind the electronics. So his first slide, uh, we're going to do it by text, email, voicemail, letter. They're telling you, we are going to find you. And your phone doesn't work. Sorry, it works. Uh, if your mailbox doesn't work, your mailbox works. We, we're we're going we're gonna to get you one way or another. And, and by a third party to boot, boy, that was serious quickly. Well, Very the nice. reality, though, is the tenant knows they're behind or they know that they have violated the lease. And this is just a way of bringing in, um, you know, there's some uh, ad running in the Atlanta market where 
The guy says, have you been injured in an accident? Bring in the strong arm. Well, this is sort of like a strong arm for an eviction. So, hey, not only that, it takes out the emotion. They, they might have a relationship with you, but now Joe is not emotionally involved. And now that card is gone. And that's 80 percent of it. It's true. It's true. And and I just. I appreciate Joe. I don't know how he could have been doing this for 10 years, though, without my finding out about it. By the way, I did ask him if he had spoken to your subgroup, and the answer was he didn't think so. Had, had you heard of him before? No, and, and I will be contacting him just for that reason. That's what I put on my notes, so I hope he well, takes us off. Um, just a couple of things. First, we got an email from a friend of mine who said, I'm interested in meeting with other people who are like-minded, who uh, I would be able to learn from and maybe share some of my experiences with. Immediately, the landlord subgroup of Georgia RIA or the Georgia Real Estate Investors Association came to mind. Um, when is your next meeting and could this person come if they wanted to? Our next meeting is this Thursday, uh, that is the 24th. And we meet from seven to 9 PM once a month, the fourth Thursday of the month. And all that person has to do is go to georgiaria.org and reach out to contact us and we'll get you hooked up and you can be part of the program. Fantastic. Again, the website is G-A-R-E-I-A dot com. And when you're there, you'll see that. Um, and is this an in-person or a virtual meeting this month? That's the question of the year there, John. Um, I'm going to go with virtual right now, but it could change. But maybe next month. But right now, we're, we're probably virtual. We're, we're looking at a hybrid solution, I'm, I'm told. I understand. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm involved in an Old Testament Bible study that had started in person, but when COVID came along, we moved to the Zoom platform. Now we have people who attend from all over the country. We've got people from, from other parts of the United States. So if we went back to an in-person meeting, we would probably want to continue the zoom option because somebody's not going to come from dallas drive into atlanta for a old testament bible study so, anyway. it's changed so many things and uh, in the moving business i do now 20 25 of my business is, is virtual estimating around the country wow Incredible. that's that's amazing well i think back on when i started and we were carrying around uh multiple listing books under each arm. And by the time they were printed, they were obsolete. And we had to use them for two weeks until a new one came out and it was obsolete. So I don't know. All right. One more thing. Uh, one of our good friends, Leslie, um, asks, do you have a separate bank account for each trust? Uh, Leslie is asking about the title holding trust which we're not really going to be able to get into today because it is a more complex topic, but maybe we ought to schedule that for a, a, some point. But the answer is no. Um, the trust 
that is the owner of this particular rental property. Uh, and you might call it the 233 Westchester Drive Trust, okay? Um, the 233 Westchester Drive Trust is considered almost like a corporation by the state of Georgia, but it is not a corporation but it is a separate living, breathing animal. And for each trust, there has to be a trustee. And that trustee typically is authorized to act on behalf of the trust in its best interest. And one of the things it can do is the trustee can enter into a management agreement with a property manager. And that property manager, Leslie, can be you, or it could be um, Ian Robbins Management Company, if he had one, or it could be Century 21 Property Management, um, any, anybody you want, and it could be you. If it is you, and you are also a beneficiary of the trust, which is not disclosed to anybody, um, the trustee typically is required to follow your instructions uh, as beneficiary. So you can instruct the trustee to sign a management agreement with a management company, which might be uh, Sunshine Management Company, LLC, which you happen to be the sole member of, and you'd be member manager of that management company. If you have multiple trusts, you can have each of those trusts bank, or, or I'm sorry, each of those trusts sign a management agreement with Sunshine Management, LLC, of which you are the member manager. And then you only need one account. Now, if you are subject, I, I know who Leslie is, and I think she's subject to the rules and regulations of the Georgia Real Estate Commission. That's a little bit different, Leslie, because as you'll recall, a licensed broker has to have an escrow trust account. Um, but if any licensee under that broker wishes to have their own escrow account, it has to have the written permission of the broker. So if you are not the broker, you would need permission from your broker to have your own separate escrow trust account um, under the rules of the Real Estate Commission. Now, as, as Ian has pointed out, that's not part of Georgia landlord-tenant law. That is part of Georgia real estate license law and the rules and regulations of the Real Estate Commission. So we've got two different things going here, but I, I, there is a way to have just one bank account. My advice would be to have an operating account and an escrow trust account. And I think that's the safest way to do it. Uh, whether you are, or even if you are not a licensee, so let's say if you're not a licensee, how could you have an escrow trust account? You simply um, go in one day as 
um, president of Sunshine Management LLC, which you can set up in one day, by the way, um, with the Secretary of State. Although I think I heard somebody say there was a 24-hour delay now. I, I don't understand why that would be. But anyway, you just go into a bank that is small business friendly and say, hi, I have a small business called Sunshine Management LLC, and I need an operating account and I need an escrow trust account. And they're going to ask that the LLC sign um, an account agreement, and it'll be on a form that the bank gives you. And they'll also ask you to sign a escrow trust account agreement, which gives them the authority to answer a court order that says, we want to see this account. Well, that's what an escrow trust, it's not your money. You have been entrusted with it. And so that's where money should go um, until you need it in the operating account. And of course, you have to be able to account for every penny. Ian, we've talked before about commingling of funds. You go pick up the rent, $900 in cash, and you stop by Kroger on the way home. <laughs> And they're having a sale on <laughs> ribeye steaks. And so you buy a $300 ribeye for dinner. Um, that's commingling. And that is not um, a best practice. Um, so, but Leslie, I hope that answers your question. And thank you for asking it. Very interesting. Um, oh, here's another question from Dorothy. And she says, would the delayed financing strategy work with a quit claim deed? And the answer, of course, is yes. Um, Dorothy, I would question why you're wanting to use a quit claim deed. I don't want you receiving title with a quit claim deed unless that's your only option. And if you do, certainly you will want to purchase title insurance from a real estate attorney who is authorized to offer that. Remember that under a quit claim deed, what you're saying is, I don't know if I own this or not, but if I do, I'm giving it to you. And that, that's, not, that's not a very uh, broad promise, is it? Um, so, for John example... Go ahead, Ian. You're you're familiar with all this. Well, you know what? It's interesting. I'm familiar because she taught many years ago about the quick claim. And I remember an example you used about the governor's mansion of Georgia. And you said, uh, Brian Kemp is probably okay with it. But if I own it, Ian Robbins own it, I give it to you. And Brian Kemp is, is good with that. So I think the quick claim is, is basically saying, it's not that strong. Maybe it's strong in some situations where it's unclear, but I appreciate that story you told many years ago. Well, I can and, and let's, let's go farther and say there's really technically a quit claim deed does exactly the same thing as a um, general warranty deed, except there's no warranty. Right. Any, any interest that the grantor has including none, if the, for example, the, again, the Empire State Building, I don't own it, I admit it, 
but I would sell my interest in it for $10 right now. And I would give you a quick claim deed. And you could actually go to New York and file that, which would really mess up the attorneys when they did a title search and they say, wait a minute, what is this quick claim deed? Who the hell is John Adams? And who the hell is Ian Robbins? And they would probably call you and ask you to sign a quick claim deed to clear up the question in title, even though there is no question in title. But um, it, it serves, a quick claim serves to transfer title completely, but there's no guarantee or warranty of title. Whereas a, um, a general warranty deed says, I own it. Nobody else owns it. And I am selling it to you. And I will forever defend your right to own the property under this deed. And that's the warranty in a warranty deed. And in recent years, we've seen a movement away from that. And we now have a special warranty deed, which says, I have owned it just for the last 10 years. I don't know what happened before that, but during my period of ownership, there's been no no uh, uh, diminution of title. And I will warrant what I'm giving you from any action that I took or anything that happened to title during my period of ownership, but not before. And I happen to think that is a better way of handling it because frankly, if I'm going to be on the hook to you forever for something that happened a hundred years ago, what if, what if uh, general James Oglethorpe gave this parcel to the Nakahoma Indians in 1736 and nobody knew about it, but they come forward now with what is a valid deed from the then governor of the state of Georgia. Well, John, I, I appreciate what you're saying. And you're saying that you like the special warranty deed better than the uh, guaranteed. But I, I have to respectfully disagree because I would fall back on, but you have title insurance and therefore the title should have been researched. And if that chief comes back from the 1800s, that's, Ian's, that's not Ian's problem. So I get it. Um, but I would be more secure, not just someone guaranteeing 10 years, but the entire life of the, of the, uh, of the land. But, well, but I, I can, do understand that. I, I don't know when the last time you bought a piece of property was, but I can tell you this right now, Ian, for the last 12 months, there have been no general warranty deeds issued in the state of Georgia. Every attorney, everyone has gone to special warranty deeds. And the idea is if I'm, a, I'm warranting, during my period of ownership, and yes, I have uh, title insurance, and you need to buy your own title insurance, and it's a one-time fee, and then your title insurance company is on the hook, not just for what I did, but for what goes back to General Oglethorpe, and, and that's just a change. I'll tell you where that came from. Um, the first time I ever saw a special warranty deed was from at a closing where I bought a HUD auction property. 
and HUD refuses, they don't guarantee anything. I mean, if you if you read their contract, they say property sold as is, where is, we have no knowledge of the property. You're buying it if we have no knowledge of uh, uh, environmental concerns or termites or, I mean, they don't know nothing. And it's because the government maybe is smarter than I am. They are able to get away with it because they're the government. And finally, somebody said, well, why the hell should my seller have to offer more than the government does. And I think but John, on an overall basis, I have a question of back to the listener's question on a scale of one to 10, what would you give a special warranty deed or a limited warranty deed? Maybe it's called that. And what would you give a quick claim deed in terms of 10 being the highest? Um, 10 being the highest. Um, I would give a general warranty deed a nine. I'd give it a 10 if I had title insurance with it, um, with a, a nine. Uh, if, if it were a special or a limited warranty deed, I would give that an eight. And if it were a quick claim deed, I would give that a seven. And the, re- the reason I would take a quick claim deed, and I have accepted quick claim deeds, was when I had, or my attorney had already done the title work and I'm coming to you and saying, Mr. Robbins, I want to buy this rental house that's going into foreclosure. And you say, I don't own it. And I say, well, my attorney thinks you do own it. And you say, no, I don't own it. And I say to you, well, you look like you could use a little cash, I'll give you a hundred dollars right now. If you will sign this quit claim deed in which you're saying, I don't know if I own it or not, but if I do, I'm giving it to you. And you say that, that looks like pretty good hundred dollar bill. I'll take it. And you sign a piece of paper. I would be perfectly happy because I've only got a hundred bucks invested. I'll go record that at the courthouse so quick. And I will then purchase title insurance and find out if there are any other recorded interests. There may be, but I, but my attorney told me that Ian Robbins owned this property, even though he thinks he doesn't. And in that case, I would still, any rights that you had now become mine. Well, John, I, I appreciate your answer very much. And you're probably right. I wouldn't have, not have given that much value to a quick claim, but I respect the master and your show. <laughs> and you and I what? probably missing. It works. It works. It works. It works. But, but, but I still don't own the Empire State Building and I still don't own the governor's mansion. So I'm maybe too simplistic, but I get it. And, and I see in certain situations, and you're saying you're counting on the attorney and the attorney's title search. And that's why you're willing to give it as high a score as you have. Exactly. Exactly. So the basis of the question, though, I have a feeling somebody was throwing away, throwing around some terms and they're trying to get more uh, information and you've covered it very well. Well, thank you. Um, Our listener and viewer, Dorothy, specifically asked about it. And uh, I would echo your concerns. Dorothy, I don't want you accepting anything 
by way of quit claim deed, unless that is the only way you can do it. And unless you are doing this with the advice of your attorney who understands quit claim deeds. Okay. Now, Dorothy, if you're giving property, you have my permission or selling property. You have my permission to use a quit claim deed all day long Me because too. you're not, let's, not making any promises. Right. So, <laughs> so much for all of that. Okay. Um, we need to move on. Oh, oh, I wanted your input on this. Let's share our screen. And bingo. And I'm going to go over here and click this. And then we're going to go to, oops, I have to start the slideshow. Come on. Okay. And now I'm going to do this. Ah, and this is a report from Realtor.com. And I thought you might want to comment on it because this is saying based on Realtor.com's most recent data, this did come out in January, um, but it's only through December. So it's uh, calendar year 21, essentially. Based on their most recent data, two-bedroom units have seen the biggest increase in rent price compared to one-bedroom and studio units. Pandemic-inspired preferences for more space, which we've talked about, uh, if people are working at home or if they're part-time working at home, <clears throat> they like to have that extra bedroom that can sort of close the door and uh, somebody can watch the kids or the dog can take care of the kids or something. Um, so there's more demand for a two bedroom, even though I still have a lot of one bedrooms and they rent pretty well. Uh, pandemic inspired preferences for more space coupled with renters increasing desire for larger homes has helped the median monthly rent for two bedroom units increased by $233, bringing the national median rent to $1,855, about 14% higher than last year. Ian, what is your reaction to this? You're out in the market every day. You're dealing with your own properties. You're talking to other landlords. Are landlords taking advantage of this opportunity and raising their rent? Or a lot of them just sitting back and saying, I don't want to lose anybody. John, they're taking advantage of it. And um, you gave me an assignment that I so much appreciate because um, every week I get those Google alerts and there's so much to be said. But to keep it really simple, I appreciate you showing this slide because, first of all, about the size space, that makes sense because of the work at home issue. So ditto to that. The fact that it's 1855, I would just caution our listeners that it's simple math. You take the 1855 times three, it's a very common um, requirement that does put out a lot of people that they can't qualify, but somehow they don't get that math. And that's really important to understand that that's not putting somebody down. You're not gonna have a fair housing. Well, you always can have a chance for a fair housing claim, it's free. But if you can multiply by three and can explain that the rent was not equal, to, you don't have three times the rent, then you have a 
very strong case to say that they're not qualified. So I look at it that, that way to understand that rents are going up. Me personally, it's taken your show. I so much appreciate because you've put money in my pocket in a different way. Yes, I'm increasing my rent and I think our listeners are too. And, um, and there is a big problem with affordable housing, but I'm not there to solve that problem. <laughs> I can well, watch and and, and and yet I think in a way you are, because even if you're offering a property for $1,855, I don't know that we would call that low to moderate income because the person in order to qualify is going to have to make what, $5,500 a month. And there are plenty of people that don't make that much, but that still is, um, I, I would call that moderate income anyway. It's certainly not high income. Um, so, you know, in a way, we're providing housing. It may not be all affordable or bottom, you know, bottom rung or entry level housing. But I do think that people are just going to have to realize that our expenses have gone up, interest rates are climbing, taxes. By the way, I noticed that taxes did not go down during the pandemic. Property no, taxes went up. And the excuse was, well, we have to provide a lot more services now than we did before. Okay. Are they going to come down when the pandemic's over? No. What about your insurance? Through the roof. What about John, your... Yeah, go John, ahead. Insurance went down for a certain amount of time. I don't know the exact for car insurance because the concept there was there's less people on the road when everybody was locked down. And I appreciated that. And I think the insurance companies knew what was going on. And so they made an adjustment. I have a feeling it's gone back up. But... Um, it's interesting how things have gone down sometimes, but you're exactly right. Most of it has gone up. Well, we get back to what you and I've talked about before, the invisible hand of capitalism, which allows people to make their own decisions based on their idea of their own best interest, as opposed to having a government tell people what to do. You know, I'm convinced if we could get uh, um, Elon Musk, to go to Los Angeles and build low to moderate income housing, they would do away with, with all of the uh, squatters and, and everything else that are camping. I call them outdoorsmen, uh, people that are living outdoors. But a lot of those people have multiple problems. A lot of those folks have emotional or mental issues. A lot of those people um, are addicted to certain drugs or they have a dependency. A lot of those people um, have other issues. And, you know, it's, it's dealing with homelessness is much more complex, I think, than most people thought it was going to be. And that's not the business I want to be in. That so. is exactly right, John. And homelessness is a very hard subject. And I'm amazed by the tents that I see and the places they pop up. Um, it's quite creative, but also very, very sad. 
But it is sad. I, as you know, when I'm going to the airport, I will go down to I-20 and drive into the downtown connector. And then I get on the South Expressway. When you make that turn, you're up at about 40 feet. And, and beneath that clover leaf is sort of a um, hobo jungle. I, I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, tents and people with sleeping bags and so forth. And I like to fly early. I like to get a flight that leaves at 6.30 or 7. So whenever I'm going by there, I'm always afraid that the homeless people, um, because they don't have alarm clocks, they might miss the 6.30 a.m. news. So I will honk my horn extra times to make sure they know it's time for us to get up and have another wonderful day in Atlanta, Georgia. Margie's unhappy. Folks, that was just a joke. I don't really do that. That would be mean. And Margie would not like it. So she who must be obeyed has spoken her piece. Before you get to your next subject, I would like to bring one more subject up, if you don't mind, about the eviction gentleman that spoke. Yeah, please. I was taking notes as I could. And um, he said one word that made so much sense, and that was communicate. And the fact that he does 3% only of setouts, which you said you've only done one in 40 years, these numbers are incredible. But the key word is communicate. And that is such a problem solver. And I think my takeaway was to get better upfront communication ways, maybe more people to call, maybe more phone numbers, maybe more emails, um, other ways just to make sure they know we're there and we're going to continue on because of that, for that gentleman saying uh, communicate. I, I, I appreciate I, that. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And the, the real primary benefit I see is that the tenant thinks you're not going to do anything. The tenant, if the tenant knows you're the owner, which I try to encourage my landlords not to be the owner, but if the tenant looks on the county records and sees that you are the owner, they're going to assume you are, and no matter what you say, and they think you're doing this as a hobby. They think you're wealthy, that you don't need the money. And so it's a concern to me. Um, and, and, and they're not going to take you seriously. What these people do for 50 bucks which to me is a tremendous bargain. Do you see how I got him down to 40 bucks? <laughs> Go, John. See, that we're getting value out of the real estate coffee break. Every hope time. so. Hope so. Um, he will put them into a system that starts this level of contact, as you point out, this communication flowing that is coming from a source they don't know, and they are concerned about it. They may not be scared of it, but the people aren't being super friendly. They're saying, Hey, we've got a problem here and this has to be dealt with, or it's going to get worse. And so I can certainly see how some people would think that's really right for them. And I don't, I don't, um, accuse, I I'm, I'm not unhappy with anybody that chooses from day one to use somebody else. But I've been, I was impressed with this guy. That's the first time I've ever talked to him. There's one more thing on that, John, that came to mind. I 
heard about this and, and this being a professional salesperson, there's a guy in New York City that if you call him, he'll tell the people no. In other words, there's a lot of people that are afraid to say no. And you hire this guy and he'll call that vendor, salesperson, whatever, and say no. I get no's all the time, but sometimes I get nothing because people are afraid. This is the same concept. This guy is a professional no-sayer, and you ain't going to live in this house, and we know what to do. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. For 40 bucks, I think the next time I have a tenant that's late, I'm going to let him send him a letter and see what happens. It's worth 40 bucks to me to find out and to, I'm guessing, that after a tenant deals with somebody like a Joe Clower, um, they're going to be a little more willing to go by the rules because they don't want it to happen again. Yep. So pain, pain anyway. and pleasure, like you said. Yep. Right. And you, uh, Ian, you'll recall we've had Robert Dukes on this program um, as a dispossessory landlord eviction attorney, and he knows his stuff. I can tell you that. So. But it's not $40. It's certainly oh, not no. $40. He's a lot more than 40 bucks. Hey, one more thing before we run out of time. I saw this on one of my Google alerts that you and I get, and it said Florida saw the two highest rent increases by metro area in the country during 2021. Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater was up 33% year over year and Miami Fort Lauderdale West Palm Beach which that's where we go for our cruise uh, although a couple of years ago we did go out of um, um, Port Canaveral uh, but usually we're out of Miami because we're looking for a real bargain and the super bargains go out of Miami 31.6% um, Holy mackerel. And I guess this is simply because so many people are wanting to move to Florida. Apparently, there's just um, uh, people from all over the country are moving to Florida and Texas, Florida and Texas, and a few to Atlanta. And I'm glad they're here, but 33%. So um, you and I ought to buy a rental in Jacksonville. Yep. I I like Jacksonville. I it's a it's a smaller town than Atlanta. You can still get around, although it does have a rush hour. But it's got that water feature right downtown. The St. John River goes right through the middle, and they have really done some nice things down there with restaurants and shops and so forth. They've got a professional football team that people love in the area. You know, Margie and I are involved at St. Simon's Island. A lot of the local people who live in Southeast Georgia support the Jaguars and consider yep. themselves Jaguars fans. So it, it's interesting, but I think that Jacksonville metro area may have a future um, if you bought a home now, if you got a deal, bought a home, fixed it up, follow the strategy that you and I and Peter Burke have talked about, I think it could be a real winner. 
Have you thought about that at all? Do you think about buying out of town? I never have. I do think about it. And I can tell you from being a mover, I tend to move a lot of people to Jacksonville. So there's, there's a magnet there. There's something going on in Jacksonville. That's very good. It's, it's a very nice area and therefore the real estate must be good. And, and um, it's close enough that you could do some good things with it. Well, also interestingly, um, and I did not know this, Jacksonville merged with the county. And I forget what the name of the county was, but they now have, I believe this is correct, one government for the entire county and the city, which is leads to economies of scale. I resent here in the city of Decatur, I get a big tax bill from DeKalb County and then a bigger one from the city of Decatur. Um, and I'm paying for multiple um, health departments and all this other jazz. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. No, but I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that perspective, John, because uh, in Georgia, we're hearing all types of headlines about cities and Buckhead wants to be a city. And now Cobb County, East Cobb got approved by the governor, but still going to referendum. Uh, so here we are splitting off and now they're coming together. So in that interesting, that one one state away, it's on the other side of that coin. So it is. stay tuned, it, everybody. Get a bigger it, picture. Well, it's going to be interesting, particularly to see what happens in Buckhead, because if City of Atlanta loses Buckhead, that's going to be a real blow to their uh, finances. Uh, because think about what the property taxes are within the proposed City of Buckhead. Yes, the county will still get something but greatly diminished from what they're getting now and it'll be interesting to see what happens well we have run out of time i think we may have one more question here let's see um angela says any experience with using temporary housing services such as crs from folks who are repairing their house, like from fire or rehab. I'm not familiar with temporary housing services like CRS. Are you, have you had any experience with them? No, John, that's very interesting because when I did have a fire and trying to get short-term, I was turned down very quickly. There wasn't, people weren't, weren't gonna give me a six month lease or a three month lease. So it sounds good, but I, also think there's long-term hotels. So it would be something to investigate for sure. Um, and she goes on to say she currently has an Airbnb. And uh, that was the first thing that jumped to mind. To me, Airbnbs, I think, are pretty much set up for relatively short-term rentals. Now, oh, yeah. whether, whether it would work out for you know a, a two-month rehab, that might be um, sky high. I, I don't, I don't know. It sort of depends on whether or not insurance is paying for it. If I have to pay for it, I'll put a pup tent in the backyard <laughs> and, sleep, and sleep in, in my sleeping bag. Um, and then would you purchase, this will be interesting because I'll pose this to you and then I'll answer and we'll get out of here. Would you purchase a rental that was built in the forties, fifties, or sixties, given the cost of repairs. What do you say? I would just look at the cost of repair and 
um, factor that in. And I don't, I'm not concerned about the forties, fifties and sixties because it's, there's a lot of buildings today that have been still around that much older than that. That's my initial impression. Uh, Angela, I would jump on it with two feet in a heartbeat. Um, and one of the reasons is I was born and raised here in the city of Decatur where lots, I mean, the, this city was built out uh, right after World War II. And there's almost nothing. I mean, you know, occasionally there's a burn or an odd lot here and there that has new construction, but people are buying the old houses, tearing them down and building McMansions. So what that says to me is that <clears throat> depending on where you're talking about, the land may be worth more than the structure. Um, you'd have to obviously do so you do your homework, get to know what's going on there. And are there things like lead-based paint? Are there things like asbestos? Absolutely. Those are legitimate concerns. And yet you'll see that the, some of those areas like Emory, like Decatur, uh, like Virginia Highland have done very, very well over the years both as rentals and as uh, owner-occupied single-family homes. So I, I'm, I'm not scared of it. My preference would be a house built in the last 20 years. Sure. But if I can get a good enough deal on, let's call it an oldie-goldie, <laughs> you bet. Absolutely. Yep. You bet. All right. It is time for us to hit the road. We'll bring in Orleans here. And it's time for me to say goodbye and for Ian to say goodbye. And so that's the 3 Mark IV, the John Adams Radio Show. And on behalf of my co-host, Ian Robbins, <clears throat> excuse me, this is John Adams reminding you, your financial future is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. Make your choice a good one. So long, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.